Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. Today, you'll be listening to a conversation between myself and Miss Jasmine Newsom, where we talked everything mental health, purpose, love, and self-care. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. Here we are. We are back. And as always, I allow the guest to introduce themselves. Okay, guys. Hi, I'm happy to be here. My name is Jasmine Newson. I am a speaker, a writer, and humanitarian. I am currently founding my own nonprofit called Youth See Beyond, helping underserved youth find their purpose. I am also, uh, I just stepped into a new role at Teach for America, where I am a recruitment manager. So I am excited to be here and excited to talk about some important things with you guys. Yes, yes. And so before we kind of head into the nitty gritty of it all, why do you do this work? Ooh. <laughs> um, I think I do the work for the people. Um, I, uh, whether that be a young person, whether that be a, a teenager or a millennial coming up, I do the work because I really want to help people and I want to help them figure out what works best for them so that they can reach their, um, their highest potential. And so um, I also do the work because so many people did the work with me <laughs> and, and like made sure that my um, matriculation, whether it be school, through womanhood, through life, somebody has always been there supporting me, uplifting me. And so I want to do the same for other people. Absolutely. I love <laughs> that. I love that. And so a lot of your work and a lot of the conversations that I've heard you have, the conversations that you have blessed the Black Education Conference with um, surround mental health. And so talk a little bit about what mental health means to you. Mental health means to me, um, when I think about mental health, I think about physical health. So there's been this whole thing about going vegan and working out and drinking more water. There's been a more emphasis on that. Um, and I think about mental health in the same way. So if I am not taking care of my mind, well, how will I operate in, in career? How will I operate in relationships? How will I operate in making decisions? And so mental health is, I think, something you should definitely equate with physical health. So if I'm working out, then I also need to make sure that I'm maintaining um, rest. I am maintaining a self-care plan. I'm going to therapy if that's something that I feel that I need in that season. And so I just think about mental health as something we have to prioritize in our lives in order to really drive the way that we're supposed to. Um, thankfully, I think our generation, you know, just being African-American, our generation gets to thrive. You know, our parents and the ones before that, they, all, they, all they really had the opportunity to do was survive. Like, got to get a job, got to keep making it, got to work, got to make sure that I get more than what um, the people before me were able to get. And so I think we have the blessing and opportunity to thrive. And in order to really do that, we got to make sure that we heal and we take our mental health seriously. Absolutely. I love that. And so that brings me into, into the why of that also, right? So what was the moment, what was the experience that really made it click for you, right? Because I think that for a lot of people, it's the same thing, like you said, with physical health, it takes something to click to say, okay, it's time for me to really invest this time and energy into my physical health. Um, what, what was that moment for you? So I had two moments actually. So that first moment was when I was in a post-bac pre-med program after I did Teach for America. I was in St. Louis, I was studying, I was doing all the stuff I was supposed to do academically and was still not doing well. 
or as well as I thought I should. And so my mentor um, from college was like, you really need to get academically evaluated. But when he said it, he said psychoeducationally evaluated. And I was like, psycho, what, what you trying to say? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> and so um, he told me that in college, told me that again when I was teaching and I was trying to, and I was studying for the MCAT. And then he told me again when I was in school. So by the third time he told me, I was like, okay, what are you talking about? What does this mean? So he told me to reach out to the psychological services at um, the university I was at. And I did, they were booked, um, which shows how, how many people were suffering with academic uh, problems that had to do with mental health. Uh, mm. And so um, I ended up reaching out to another school in St. Louis, got through, got evaluated. And she was like, you have anxiety, uh, test anxiety. I want you to continue to come see me. So I guess that was my, one of my like, moments or wake up moments like a light bulb that was just like oh wait okay yeah I have test anxiety but where does this come from and mm -hmm. so she started to show me like how, how much pressure I was putting on myself how I've kind of always been going that rest wasn't a thing that I did that I had always been going full force since I had been in college since I had been a teacher and so I was just like okay so start to go see her um and I shared I shared mostly academic things in that space when I was at with that therapist and um, ended up seeing her for like maybe a year and a half. And then I ended up moving back to Atlanta after my program. And in Atlanta, when I was sitting still, so there was no school. <laughs> there was no, no, teach, no student I needed to, to take care of. It was just, I was, it was time for me to take care of myself and to, to figure out what was next for me. I was like, I'm gonna study, I'm gonna do all these things. But if you've ever had a moment where you set still for a while, like more than you ever have in your life, you realize there's a lot of things about yourself that you haven't worked through. And so in that moment was kind of my second light bulb moment was, I'm not as okay as I thought I was. And there's a lot of things that I haven't worked through. And because I've been on autopilot my entire life, I didn't know that, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I didn't know that. I know self-care, yeah, I've been doing that. I've been, you know, praying more, journaling, meditating, cool, got that. But like, what, what is the work that I'm supposed to be doing? How am I gonna change and get to this next part? So in that space, I was like, I really want an African-American uh, female therapist. Um, the therapist I ended up getting ended up being Christian. And um, she helped me a lot when it came to where to go next, how to let go of my past, how to pivot in career. Because at one time, at one point I was wanting to do medicine and then I transitioned and wanted to go into nonprofit. And so she really helped when it came to like every single transition that I was going through. Mm. And so those are my two light bulb moments um, that made me take it seriously. Never since those two things happened, I've always been an advocate for mental health and taking care of yourself and getting to a, a, a place of wellness when it comes to um, your, your mind, your, your heart, your spirit, your body. And so, yeah, those are my two light bulb moments. And it's crazy because the, the first moment wasn't in, I did not intend to ever go to therapy. <laughs> that was not my intention in the beginning. I was like, I'm just trying to see what's happening. Do I got anxiety or not? <laughs> like, yeah. And so learning about that, learning that in depression was kind of like coinciding with that anxiety and that the deeper root of all that was ADHD. And hearing that as a, as a, as a thriving uh, young black woman was like, what, what? <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? Like, yeah, you know, like, what do you mean? And then I realized that a lot of stuff is hereditary. If you watch her family and you see that some of the things that they have just kind of let pass, or she's just sad, or she's just going through, she really tripping. And it's like, is she tripping? 
or does she have anxiety? Is she depressed? Like, or is there a deeper issue there? Mm. So I think for me, it took both of those moments, me both realizing something was wrong academically and then realizing something was wrong um, personally. Uh-huh. And steps in both of those uh, places in my life really kind of like changed my trajectory and allowed me to truly find my purpose, honestly. That's what I always tell people, like, you you take your mental health seriously, you get it together and start knowing exactly how you're supposed to, like, operate in this world, I think it opens the door for you to really walk into what you're supposed to walk into. Absolutely. I love that. And I think, like, you brought up so many incredibly, like, profound points that are that are logically simple, right? Like, it's it's logically simple to think about feeling well inside and how that manifests in everything else that we do, but somehow there is a disconnect in how society as a whole um, understands those things and implements those things in their actual life. And and it brings me to this idea of the superwoman complex, right? That we talked about in our pre-call and that's something that affects so many um, people in general, but specifically black folks that are trying to, to thrive in this world, they, they go into this, I can do it all mentality. I know that I definitely uh, live in that space very often. And so let's talk about it. Just talk a little bit about what it is and, and why it's fantastic, but also why it's harmful and how we, we use um, an investment in our, in our mental health as a, as a way to overcome that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's an amazing question. So I think when it comes to the superwoman complex, um, I think it is is the the mindset that I can do everything and I don't need help, nor do I need press, nor, nor do I need support. And so the superwoman did everything by themselves. They did the villains. They were also doing, like if you were to ever watch Superman or any type of superhero movie, you realize that they save lives while also um, having a normal life too. And when I watch those movies now and I realize that sometimes they get tired or sometimes the villain takes them out. Well, honestly, the villain in a superwoman complex is yourself Mm. and your mindset Mm. and what you think you are supposed to do by yourself. And so I think black women get into that mindset a lot because of how we've been brought up. So yeah. if you look at the origins of how we even came to the U.S., it, it, you know, that, that gives you everything you need to know. So the women had to not only take care of their families, but take care of the, the families of the, the slave owners and take care of the families of the overseers and while also having things happen to them and to be mistreated and to be made to have kids and to breed and also be able to, they had all of these tasks that they had to do. And so I think when we think about that mindset we also have to think about how that got taught how that got taught down to us so great Mm. my great great grandmother did it then she taught her child and that child taught that child and eventually ended up coming to me from my mother and seeing my mom like doing everything and (laughs) making it work and there have been moments like as an adult i'm like mom just rest just sit down like her birthday was a week and a half ago and she was like cleaning up as people were eating it, it was like, it's okay. Like we could take care of it, but it's like, you're in her head. She was like, you're not going to do it the way I, I want it to be done. So, you know, like I'm just going to do it. And so I think it really comes from um, what they call epigenetics is that mindset has been taught, not only taught to us, but it's really in our genes mm. too. 
And if nobody never tells you that that is not the way to live, then you're just going to keep doing it, right? <laughs> Until you hit a breaking point. Um, and even when you hit a breaking point, I realize, especially as a young woman, if you hit a breaking point and you don't have people in your life to tell you, hey, I, this is why you have hit this breaking point, you actually really need to rest and relax and calm down and like, like really distress, then you also won't know what to do or how to recover. And mm -hmm. so I think when you take mental health seriously, you are getting an unbiased person telling you that you cannot do it all. And they're telling you why you can't. And the thing about therapy is they're listening to everything that you have to say and they're regurgitating what you say, but they're putting it in words that you can understand. So I'm yeah. hearing you say that you have a lot on your plate. Why do you put a lot on your plate? And like they'll ask you those probing questions to make you be like, wait, have I always lived this way because this is just the way I thought I was supposed to live or this is the way I thought that I could get things accomplished or was I just addicted to busy because I didn't want to deal with what I need to deal with. And Ooh. so I think um, taking your mental health seriously will definitely make you take a, a step back from that super wellness complex. Um, I've been to a lot of conferences. I've read a lot of books and um, one of the conferences I was at, they were talking about the superwoman and um, it was like a, the woman was like maybe 65, 70 and she said, let me tell y'all something. All of my friends that were super women died early. I am one of two other people that is still alive in my circle. Can y'all, can we like get out of this mindset and like actually take care of ourselves? Mm. And so I think when I heard that, I was like, wow, like this is another level, but even past that, when it comes to scientific research, there was a study done on a, a black woman and a white woman that, that passed away um, in old age. And they like did an autopsy and it just showed how much stress was living in the, in the black woman's body and how that eventually affected how she was able to um, operate and eventually that affected her health. And so when you know that, when you have the data and you have the information, you understand, you see what it does to people. I think once you, you look at that, you say, I need to stay, take a step away from this. But it's hard to do when that is ingrained in you. Yeah. This day, I know this, right? I gave, just gave you all of these facts about why superwoman mentality is rough, right? In this season in my life, I just had a conversation with myself yesterday. Okay, Jeff, we're getting back to a place where we're doing too much. Like, how can we tailor, um, how can we create the boundaries in our life so that this is not a repetitive cycle? So that we don't always have to come back to um, why am I doing this? Because it, it, it becomes a, a habit to want to do more and to want to, especially when you're starting to get everything that you asked for. You're like, okay, things are lining up. Yes, 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 yes. And it's like, no, um, you still have to have that boundary, the boundaries uh, around the things that you do to make sure that you are taking care of yourself as you're pouring out. Absolutely. I think like, and, and that last piece was so key too, right? The, we can tell ourselves these things, but there's a, there's a, there's a power and an impact in knowing that this is the reality of the situation and unpacking those things and asking ourselves those questions because then there are people out there who don't even realize that they have that there is a problem or that there is an issue um, so we're past that first step and now it's just implementing things um, in our life that allow us to slow down sometimes or understand that no is a full sentence and all of those sorts of things yeah. and so we're going to start to like shift the conversation into the education piece 
specifically, um, knowing that mental health is a part of the education process, but just talking a little bit about specifically your experience working in education. So tell us about your impact in the classroom, what students you worked with, where you worked, and, and kind of what happened for you um, when you were working in the classroom. Yeah, so um, I never saw myself as a teacher, like ever. Like that was not, uh, that wasn't on my list of what I was supposed to do. Like I said, I was trying to go straight into medicine. Well, um, we, you know, we can have plans, but literally life will take you in different directions. You just gotta flow and surrender. So um, I got recruited in college. Uh, one of my friends was a campus ambassador for Teach for America. Uh, he was a senior, he was also an RA, a resident assistant like me. And he was like, I think you should do Teacher America. So he was like, I'm talking about, he was on me. I think we talked at least three or four times. And then um, he took me on a classroom visit. I love the classroom visit. Um, love some of the things that a lot of the Teacher America alum were saying about how Teacher America changed their lives. Because I, while I did know that medicine was something I was interested in, I didn't necessarily know what my life would look like right after school, like immediately I graduated. And so I felt like Teacher America would give me the opportunity to kind of like figure that out while also making impact. So um, applied, ended up getting skipped to the final interview, did the interview, got accepted um, to Charlotte, North Carolina, teaching um, high school science. And so that was like nerve wracking because it was like, wait, I'm about to leave Georgia. Like nobody in my family, like everybody in my family like stays in Georgia. That's what we do. Um, so when I left, that was like a huge uh, step for me. So got to got to Charlotte, North Carolina, start teaching at one of the lowest performing schools in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, which is ironic because it used to be a really high performing school and all the alum are very like, like we went to West Charlotte Dubsey, like they love their school. Um, the pride is like amazing there. So yeah, I got there and um, I would say maybe the first three, four weeks, like I could tell like my students liked me and stuff like that, but I was like, I feel like I'm about to be like a normal teacher. Like I don't want to be a normal teacher. I don't want to teach them a lesson and then give them a worksheet and that be that. Like this is not, this is not fun. Like I'm supposed to be here. There's a reason why I got accepted. Let's see what else I can do. And so I leaned on the support of Teacher America as well as the teachers in my, um, in my building and that were teaching science and there was one next door to me her name was miss hamlin and miss hamlin um was in medical school at one point and she had stopped she had stopped medical school like in the middle of medical school and um ended up uh teaching so any question i asked literally all i had to do was go to miss hamlin Miss mm -hmm. Hamlin kind of I, I was very vulnerable and transparent about where i was and hey, there's some things I, I'm lost on here. Could you like help me? Like, how could I teach this better? What can I do? So what she gave me allowed me to like shape how I taught and like what mm -hmm. I did. When your heart is there and you have the support, the impact you will make in your classroom will be impeccable. I have students coming into my classroom with sixth grade math levels. And if I'm teaching them chemistry, now I'm telling them that they need to count up electrons and they're looking at me like I'm crazy because at the end of the day, they don't understand. And so there were moments where I'd be teaching and I would, um, I would hear like dead silence and I would turn around and I'd be like, okay guys, like what's happening? Well, instead of being um, a teacher, like some of the teachers that I experienced, especially in college, getting mad that they don't understand, it's like probing questions and asking them like, what, why, why don't they understand? Yeah, we know the system failed them. That's number one. Number two, ask where did the system fill them and what you can do to fill in the gap. 
So for me, I asked my students, um, who was your math middle school teacher? Oh, we had a long-term sub. Well, that is why um, they don't know <laughs> some of the math that I'm talking about. So I'm going to have to go back to that. And so that was like a huge uh, breaking point, like not breaking point, but breakthrough for me um, when I learned that, that there was some things that were completely out of their control that had nothing to do with them. It really, it really just had to do with their socioeconomic status and the school that they went to that um, played a huge part in their, their educational development and like where they were trying to go. And so for me, it was my job to fill in those gaps and, you know, when you look at the, the goal in front of you, you're like, oh, my God, that's a lot of work to do. Like, how am I going to, like, catch them up in five years? Um, so I just kind of took the, the mindset of let's do as much as we can in this classroom. Yeah, I'm going to talk to you about science. I want to make sure that you do well on that end of your test exam. And I, I think I had 80% of my students um, end up getting proficient or over that. And some of them came in. I, I know they were coming in where the school and the district was looking at them like they're probably, we're Charlotte, we're not going to even worry about their scores. And so like when I got my scores, like, and it was my first year as a teacher, it was like, oh, Jasmine, like, y'all did some like great things. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm so glad, you know, like it was able to work and to see that impact. But past that impact, I think when you look at impact, um, someone said this today, one of my coworkers said this today, impact can be looked at statistically and personally. So statistically, they did well on the exam. That's great. That's what they, they want you to do. Personally, how are you able to change their lives? How are you able to like really like pour into them? And for me, yeah, I was myself, but I asked questions and I told them things that I wish somebody would have told me growing up. And mind you, I grew up with a, with a bit of, with somewhat of privilege um, than they did. But even in that, I realized that with that privilege, if I still struggle, what will they do without that privilege and the same struggle? And so because I thought I came with that mindset, I think I was able to really, really pour into my students and ask them what they really want to do outside of college. What do you see yourself? What do you want to, what do you want to do? I really talked to a lot of my girls because I could see them getting caught up in relationships and thinking that that was the end all be all. And I'm like, no, I want you to go to school. And even, even my girls that um, ended up, getting pregnant early in their senior year or like right after their senior year, I made, made sure we made a plan for their lives and figured out what can you do? This baby doesn't stop anything. It just, you know, makes, makes you have to be more responsible. And it's just another thing to think about. And I can honestly say like a lot of my students um, have really done a lot. They've succeeded. They've graduated college. Some of them were the first to graduate. I went to um, a college graduation of one of my students last um, summer. And like, it was just so like, I remember crying when they called her name because I was just like, I knew you, like I knew you as a junior as some students, I didn't even think about college that ended up going. I had some students that did trade school or uh, worked for a while and then figured out what they wanted and have a lot of students doing entrepreneurship. And so it's just beautiful that they have walked into some of those spaces and that not only did I get a chance to impact them, they changed and shaped my life. And you'll see as you're you're in the classroom this year, you'll be like, wow, like, you know, I came in with all these ideas. Yeah, I did them. Yeah, I made impact. But most importantly, they, they really change you and make you um, look at life completely different. So, yeah, that was like a long winded way of just saying about my classroom experience because, um, yeah, it was amazing. And the only reason I left the classroom was because I ended up getting into my grad program. 
um, there were moments in that grad program where I was like, why did I leave? I miss the kids. <laughs> I miss being connected. And uh, one of the reasons why I'm working for Teach for America now, because I get to indirectly affect what's happening in the classroom by uh, recruiting uh, top talent and diverse leaders. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to like look back and really think about, um, I think something that came up for me while you were talking is this idea around expectations and this idea around like what students can accomplish and on whose level and by whose standards, right? So some people, um, the standard is that students have to be college ready, whatever that is. Um, and be prepared to do this thing at this time in this way. Um, and, and you were able to connect with students in a way that was like, no, I'm not gonna tell you how to, um, how to accomplish or what success means to you. I'm just gonna help you get there. And I think that that's an incredibly important um, way to look at it when you're walking into the classroom because not all teachers kind of think that way. And so this makes me think about UC Beyond, right? What is that? What was your inspiration? Talk about it and let us know um, how it supports the development of young Black students. Yeah, um, that's, so what I just talked about my students, that is the inspiration behind it. But I, I believe it's twofold. So my students were definitely the inspiration um, I worked with students, like I said, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then when I got to St. Louis and I was in my grad program, I also uh, worked with an organization, um, Boys and Girls Club, but it was a unique program called Be Great Graduate. So I would be, we pushed into classrooms. We were mentors, tutors, after school, like we did it all. And um, I was able to see in both of those populations, and I'm in two different parts of the U.S., right? So I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then I went to St. Louis, Missouri, Southeast, Midwest. Why in both of those places do I see that my students don't lack dreams? They don't lack vision. They don't even lack fortitude or intelligence. They got it. They got it, especially when you understand that even if their grades don't show it, they still have it. They just didn't get developed in the way that they were supposed to. They have it. What they lack is access. What they lack is the support they need. And what they lack is exposure to the things that, that would tell them that it's possible for their lives. So I'm a firm believer that students cannot, black, especially black students, you cannot be what you can't see. So they've never seen a black person be successful in the arena that they wanna go into outside of sports and entertainment, then how are they gonna be able to actualize those things for themselves? And so, when I work with both of, those, both of those populations, I just realized that they they lack, you know, there was a lot that they lacked when it came to support structures. And while I was only one person, I always try to figure out how I can help them, what I could do, how I could connect them. What do I need to tell them in this moment that could that could carry them through the rest of their lives? And that was the first part. So the, the second fold is my own life and how I automatically I was like, yep, I want to help people. I'm going into medicine. That, that's it. That's the only place that I can go. And, you know, college was some the science classes that I took in college was difficult. Um, our, one of the reasons why I was able to teach chemistry so well is because I had also in, in some way struggled in it. I, I got it, but there were moments where I struggled in it as well. And so when it came to my students asking me questions, there was no problem in answering them. Cause I'm like, I've been where you've been. Like, this is not like easy material. I understand. Um, so yeah, college was college was difficult. I taught and then I got into uh, my grad program and also struggled there. And there was a question of, is this something that you still want to do? 
when I moved back home and I was studying for the MCAT, I constantly had to ask myself, and I had to go back to why I even came to the dream in the first place. I want to help people. But I thought that the only way I could help them was to do medicine. But that's not true. Because not only have I taught, I've also worked for a nonprofit. And I see that, like, I really care about students. Yeah, I could be a pediatrician and do it that way. But what, how can I make impact today? That was, like, my biggest thing. Like, how can I make impact today? I made impact with Teacher America. I made impact with the program that I was with, Boys and Girls Club. I want it today because I want to change students' lives today. I want to change the trajectory, trajectory of their lives today. And so when I thought about that and when it was time for me to pivot to the next part of my life, I think for me, I was like, okay, it's time to pivot. Then I was stuck. And so I realized that there was a self-discovery process that I needed to take. And so thinking about all that, the things that students in low-income areas lack, the way that my life went and how I need to pivot and how I struggle in that pivot, when I thought about all that, I said, okay, what if we did this self-discovery process before they even get to their 20s and as a millennial? What if we start talking to them about these things before they even get into these places? And so I was like, oh my God, I want to help students find their purpose. I want to help them figure out like what's next for them. And so that was like my whole thing, my whole thing. And then I piloted. And when I piloted, I realized that how can I help students find their purpose if I don't first give them those basic life, that basic life skill training? If I don't tell them how they can apply to a job, if I don't tell them how to make a resume, if I don't tell them what they're supposed to do in an interview or what they're supposed to say on both a job application or a college application, if I don't tell them what's possible for their lives, how dare I say, how can we find your purpose? And it's like, you can't even get to that conversation unless you give them that type of training. So when I was piloting at the, the YMCA here in Atlanta, um, those are some of the things that I was able to realize. But even in that space, I was also able to see that high school students aren't the only people that need this. So if I only focus on high school students, then I might lose some people. I might, I might not be targeting all the audiences that need this. So if I'm trying to help people that look like me, right? And I can't just do high school. But guess what? It's people that didn't get it in high school and struggling just like I did and don't have nobody to tell them, like, this is how you pivot. This is how you move. This is how you shape. This is how you figure out what you're good at and what you're supposed to be doing. And so I opened it up to college students. And even some of my friends that are millennials are like, hey, I need a session. I, I want to talk about, like, purpose. I need help. I'm kind of forming those ideas. And so from there, um, I still have an emphasis in helping underserved youth. But um, I really want to help young people, um, whether that be high school students, whether that be college students, whether that be just uh, millennials, really helping them figure out where they're supposed to go next. Because I do not believe that you can even have a direction in life or even know where you're going if you don't have a theme or wh what it is that you're supposed to be doing. And, you know, I hear a lot of Black women say, I want to help people. Like, <laughs> that's what I want to do. Um, and it's like, well, because you want to help people, and then I noticed from my conversation that you're also good at this, these are ways, these are several ways that you can do that. Because I don't believe, especially in this new generation, especially what's happening um, now, we're having to do a lot of things virtually, the jobs and the market do not look the same. And if we do not prepare our students for that, then what is that going to look like for them? How, what life, what type of quality of life would they be able to live? 
And we can't just prepare them for a job. We need to prepare them for an industry. We need to prepare them to say, this is what you're skilled at and this is how you can transfer those skills. And we have to prepare them to be able to pivot because they will have to pivot. There is no one in my life that hasn't had to pivot at some point in their life. And so when I thought about all of those things, um, that, that's support, that's the purpose behind UT Beyond is really helping young people find um, their purpose and helping them kind of shape the life and create the life that they want. Because um, I, I believe that we deserve that. And because a lot of us don't get that opportunity growing up, we definitely need it as we kind of matriculate into adulthood and, you know, become an adult. Like, if we don't have those type of conversations with our students, then we can't be mad that they're not thriving. It's like, you know, somebody has to tell them how to do it. Somebody has to teach them. Just like you were taught, some of us were taught at home, but some of us need teaching outside of that and yeah. just get a direction. And so we got to understand that and know that and like start putting work behind some of the, the ways we think that we can help young people. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, I mean, it's so spot on. And I think like, regardless of what, subject that you teach or regardless of what facet that you have young people in your life or people who need direction in general um there are ways to support them that are more than giving money or more than more than just sitting at the front of a classroom and writing things on the board like there's so much more that they need that is going to help them more than some of the curriculums that New York State has decided that I have to teach. So I'm about to go in tomorrow and start talking about astronomy. Granted, I think it's cool. Yeah. But then in the same breath, we have students that don't understand that they can own their own business and it only takes $200 to do so, like in New York State. Listen, in Georgia too. Two hundred bucks. Like you send in two hundred bucks, you got an LLC that you can write off on your taxes. Half the stuff that you already doing in real life. <laughs> Mind blown, right? <laughs> and and so, and and we could go in and talk about the reasons why that is and why the system is is the system. But as individual teachers, there are ways in which we can beat that system and support students in the way that they need it, right? And so I think that the marrying the conversation about youth see beyond and finding purpose is so beautiful with the conversation that we had about mental health and then somehow we made it to my last question where in your perfect world if we pushed betsy devos out and now we have somebody in there that is doing what they're supposed to be doing in terms of taking care of and you were in charge of making sure that the mental health the purpose planning portion of education um, was was yours to give, what would this look like implemented universally? Mm, wow, that is a, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, we got to get Betsy out for it. That's number one. Uh, she, oh, period. So bad. Yeah, period. I was literally about to say that. She got to go. Um, I think implementing mental health um, services and not just because the state tries, but does not do a great job. And this is across the board. This is not just in low income schools. This is in high income schools and people that have resources too. The thing about that though, I have a, I have a Caucasian friend and they're like, oh, I've been in therapy since I was 12. They will find it outside of that. But with our, with our African-American students, um, their parents don't even know or have their, know like where to go to like send their child, like to even know that that is like possible for them. 
So I think uh, it would be providing like more than one or two social workers for a whole district, providing more therapists and more mental health professionals in those spaces that not only help the students, because that's only one part of, of our community, to help the teachers and to also help the parents. So if all of those cohesively are working together, then I believe that a lot more will be achieved academically. We will get those scores if the support was there. We would get the scores if, if mental health support was there. And not only if mental health support was there, but if we had the resources to do the things that we want to do with our kids. When I was a chemistry teacher, because I was at a Title I school, I didn't have many of the chemicals I wanted and needed to be able to do some of the experience, experiments that I wanted. Yeah. But I have to reach out to different teachers and get stuff from them to be able to do that. And even when I tried to bring it to my school, because it had not been done or because the past, when it had been done in the past, people didn't know what they were doing, they tried to dis discourage me from doing it. Like, no, just, your girl, just teach, just show them a video. I'm not showing them a video of something blowing up when I could do it in my classroom. Absolutely. And so I think if we could give mental, if we can get resources in general, specifically uh, financial resources to be able to do the, same, the things that we need to do with our students, as well as mental health services, I think um, school will run like smoothly. And I bet you, if we had those resources, for low-income schools, and we don't just depend on property taxes because that's a whole different kind of story. If we want to go there, rezoning and re redlining is like, if we didn't depend on that, or we actually had the same opportunities and resources as as our counterparts, our scores would be the same. That's just like, period. And that's <laughs> period. And that's the part that really kind of I think that's the part that makes me the most angry and the most frustrated and, the, and, and it empowers me the most to continue doing the work is that I know without a shadow of a doubt if resources were allocated the way that resources should be allocated, we would, we would just look at the world and it would be extraordinarily different. And when we think about how hard people fought for our education to be um, funded the way that it's funded, we have to understand the framework in which those people were thinking, right? Mm -hmm. It was by design, it was on purpose. And so yeah. when we know that there's a system that was by design and on purpose, we need to do things that are by design and on purpose to combat that. That's it, that's it. <laughs> you are there, you got it's it. On purpose, like it's, it really is just so, that that's the answer, right? And so mm -hmm. it's the collective action, it's the coming together to have these conversations. It's the emphasis on our mental health. It's the emphasis on looking at and creating a better future um, without driving ourselves into the ground. All those things are possible when we do the thing, when we do it together. So I absolutely loved this conversation. It was so good. And we are at the part of our episode where I flip the script and you become the interviewer. And so if you have any questions for me or for Black on Black Education that have to do with our conversation today, I am more than happy to answer. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, um... I think for me, oh, just going back to something you you said, when mm -hmm. you like my purpose and design, man, that that really got me like woo. Uh, but also, we just don't need mental health resources and just resources in general. If we started talking to our students about what was possible for their lives while they are in front of us, how many more people will we have like black people doing in different industries and doing the things that they actually love? We would hear this less in our community. I know you have family members that probably say the same thing because I think no matter who you are, some of us have a similar experience when it comes to our lives. You have aunts and uncles that go, I, can't, I, don't, I don't like that job. That job ain't got nothing to do with what I want to do. 
And that dream just stays as a dream. If we talked about purpose in the classroom, we talked about what the life that you could really create for yourself, we would have less people saying that and more people saying, I love what I do. I love this work. Even when it makes me tired, I still love what I'm doing. Absolutely. And there were mo- there have been moments in my life, I honestly haven't said that um, since I was a teacher. Now that I'm like back into that space of like doing, I'm like, okay, purpose, we right here. Like this aligns. Now I'm saying that again. And yeah. so I think my question for you when we think about that is um, knowing that, you know, you have to teach kind of in this space or like this new, this new virtual space, like teaching in the midst of the pandemic, what will you hold at the forefront of your mind mm. you get tired? Mm. Um that I'm enough, right? And so I think this is this is my vision for my classroom and, and, and what I kind of go into talking to all of my, of my students is that you're enough just by having walked through the door and being in this classroom, right? Like just by stepping in and walking into here, you're enough. The days that you don't show up, you're still enough. Like just the fact that you woke up and breathed, you're enough. Now, everything that we do on top of that is extra. And so the things that you learn, the changes that you make, the goals that you create and achieve, all of that stuff is beautiful, great, fantastic, but just by waking up, you're enough. Mm. And that is what I have to continue to tell myself in the moments where I get off of Zoom and I go take a two hour nap when I know I had mad stuff to do, which definitely happened earlier today. Get your rest, get your rest. (laughs) I I was tired and I was like, I'm not gonna finish none of this stuff if I don't take a nap. And so I took a nap and I was like, wow, I feel great. And now I can do the things that I need to do. And I'm still enough, even though I chose to take a nap instead of immediately getting back on the computer, finishing this grading, finishing these learning plans, finishing. Because at the end of the day, where my purpose is, where my where I choose to give my energy is two things that are going to make the world a better place. And even if that's only making one person better or one person helping one person get there, I've already made the world a better place. And so mm-hmm. it's breaking down this idea that I have to be the president to make the world a better place because that's where I was at like two years ago. I was like, well, it doesn't matter. By the time I'm 35, I'm gonna run for president and I'm gonna be the president and that's it. And that's how I'm gonna change the whole world. <laughs> like that was that was that was what was going on in between in between my in, in in my head. And now I'm realizing that like impact does not have to be extraordinarily large to be important because the butterfly effect is real. You affect mm-hmm. one person and the ripples of that are something that we can never ever ever imagine i'm thinking i I recently was thinking about just to close up on the on the answer but recently thinking about like losing chadwick boseman granted did i know that man no the impact of the work that he's created was felt by many 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 people in the black community and and elsewhere but it's it it hits different for us Mm -hmm. and so thinking about how denzel washington signed a check and didn't know who that check was going to. And that check went to Chadwick Boseman, who then went on to create incredible art and incredible and achieve so much before 43 years old. The butterfly effect is real, it ripples. And so 
listen, I might sign a check to the next Chadwick Boseman. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the next Chadwick Boseman might be in your classroom. He, he really might. He really <laughs> might. And so that that is what we have to continue to think about, particularly for those of us who have chosen to dedicate our lives and our energy to supporting students. Um, and and yeah, that that's yeah. <laughs> that was good. I'm I'm I am thankful that you are in a classroom Thank and that you. you have this mindset um, because everybody does it. You know, some people go into it not with the same, or they've been there for a while and they have kind of gotten burned out. But mm-hmm. think about that. That like I am enough. Not only am I enough, but my students are enough. And because of that, this is the framework that I'm working from. I think that's beautiful, and it will carry you. Um, you definitely need something to carry you uh, throughout that. The, the matriculation and, and when you teach uh, because it will definitely help. So yeah, no, that, that made me happy. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Thank you. And I think just everybody listening, we got to all breathe and live into that. Again, like my 100% lifeline right now and thought process right now is collective action. If it's not, if it's when our communities are going to transform themselves and we're going to transform ourselves because we love and care and collectively support each other and that has been the reality of the black community forever like that's just who we are we are not dog eat dog for the most part we have from the beginning of time watched out supported each other and so we're just going to keep doing that and i I love it and so i'm so thankful for this conversation so now let's look out and check on each other and make sure that we are doing what is necessary to help our fellow people uh, because the world is really trying to tear us down, but we ain't letting it happen. Yes. We're Listen, not letting it happen. That's a word. That's a word. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I think that this is a perfect place to end. Thank you. Thank you. And if you have any last words to let the people out, um, please share them now. Yeah. Um, I, I guess my last words would be, uh, yes, impact in your own your own scope of influence. And so I think like you were just saying, I, I, ha- I have to be this great person in order to impact and make you realize, no, like I could just plant the seed and the butterfly effect could happen. Um, I want to just echo that and just, when you see the, the bigger issue, racism, right? <laughs> the s- systemic racism is the reason why we have educational inequality. The reason why we don't have as many resources when it comes to mental health. When you think about all that, that's a huge issue, right? But what can you do today in order to impact the people around you and do this and, and change their their perspective of life, but change like their direction and where they're going and hopefully uplift them to get to the places that they dream to be. And so understand that you have impact um, where you are today and make sure that you utilize that and um, embrace it. Yes. Walk in it. It's time. <laughs> we need you, literally. <laughs> Absolutely. And the last thing I'm gonna say is vote. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Please, guys. Everyone, everybody, thank you so much. See you next week. Bye, guys.